Squad Vancouver. Pre-game, post-game, every game presented by Bodog from Sports Odds to free casino games. Make a play at Bodog.net. Wadden and J-Pat here with you to kick off another week. As we dive into some more off-season news with the Canucks, we'll look at the World Hockey Championship, which is in full swing right now. And speaking of swinging, J-Pat, mm-hmm. not talking about your weekends, talking about JT Miller, 78 yes. at the U.S. Open qualifier. So both of us, we thought a little more of JT this time around, but shoots a 78, not going to qualify. No, he made the turn at even par. Yeah, he had an early birdie, birdie the first par five on his card. And then gave one back at one of the par threes. So he was 36 on the front nine, even par, and then hopped aboard the bogey train. And trust me, I have been on the bogey train many times. I'd love uh, to be on the bogey train. I would just love fact, it. In fact, just one par on the back nine for, for JT. Yeah. So it kind of looks like it fell apart a little bit for him. You know, 36 out, 42 on the way in, 78 for his round, which still, I mean, that's a decent round of golf under those conditions, but yeah, not close enough uh, to to advance to sectionals. So uh, the dream is dead for another year for, for JT Miller. But again, I think it's pretty cool that he put himself out there. Obviously, the guy's a decent player, golfer, but you know, when you get into these types of events, these a couple of guys that have posted three under. So, you know, that just gives you an indication of kind of the level that you had to be at to think about it. And again, this was local qualifying to advance to the sectionals. And that's the next hurdle for the U.S. Open. So, all right. You know, it was fun. We kind of all charted it. It gave us some things to talk about. But get back in the gym. Get on with your offseason training. <laughs> uh, like all, I mean, I'm sure he's going to play a ton of golf over the offseason. But this chapter, at least, of his summertime it comes to an abrupt halt after uh, shooting 78. Phone call right after the round from Tockett. All right, fun's over. Standing, standing behind the 18th green, kind of like the giant guy in Happy Gilmore. <laughs> You're going to miss, JT. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, Canada's doing well at the World Hockey Championship. They get a win today in a shootout over Slovakia 2-1, to one, but they're 3-0 and oh now for the tournament. They had a 5-2 victory yesterday as well over Slovenia and uh, as we're sort of charting the Canucks that are playing for Team Canada right now uh, Tyler Myers and Ethan Bear both don't have a point Myers though is a plus five in the tourney Ethan Bear is a zero right now but they both have two minor penalties as well which doesn't come as a surprise with Tyler Myers as well I I think we tweeted the video today through at rinkwide van on Twitter Patented Tyler Myers cross-check, got him two minutes in the box. And then just looking over at Team USA as well, Connor Garland with three points for the States in the tournament thus far. A little bit of a surprise today with Slovakia, though, with the 2-1 shootout win for Canada. But again, as I mentioned, 3-0, perfect right now. And there will be some more troops arriving as teams start to fall out of the NHL playoffs as well, or Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, and as you said, you tweet out the the Tyler Myers. Actually, it was reviewed for a major penalty. Yeah, I saw that. (laughs) And Which I thought was kind of surprising. I know, but yeah. international officiating, you never know. I mean, he, he cross-checks a guy, but the guy was sort of turning it off balance, and I think they got it right. It was a penalty, but it wasn't a major penalty. And the crazy thing about that tournament, and it just it looks funny when you look at the stat sheets, you get five and a game. So essentially, you get five and a misconduct and a game misconduct. So guys that are getting tossed, they get 25 minutes in penalties at a shot. So, yeah, I mean, I think... You know, and with hindsight, they reviewed it. And yeah, I thought it was a minor penalty. I think they got it right in that regard. What I thought was interesting from that game, though, earlier today, and first of all, the shootout was spectacular. I don't know if you saw the shootout, but it eight rounds. And I love international play because 
you can go back to the same guy, and we all remember Jonathan Taves, the World Juniors, going you know three in a row and scoring three in a row. I like that. I mean, why? I suppose maybe there's some sort of charm to going deep into your bench, and you get a Merrick Malik going between the legs. I'm still, for me, it's just give me the skill guys, give me the best guys possible, and so I like the idea that coaches can go back to the same shooters. Anyways, it was great shootout, back and forth, eight rounds total. Canada ends up winning, but one of the things I thought was interesting. Canada-Slovakia, World Hockey Championship. You don't expect a game like that to have a ton of bite, but there were so many penalties and so many power plays. And in fact, Brad Hunt, as we talk about charting Canucks or former Canucks, Brad Hunt actually logged more ice time in this hockey game than either Tyler Myers or Ethan Bear because there was so much special. He's the second unit guy, Mackenzie Weger running the power play for Team Canada. But yeah, Brad Hunt actually lost more ice time in this one than either of the, the two current Canucks. Yeah, that's where Canada seems to be struggling right now, though, with their power play as well. I'm just going to pull up the stats here. Just 15% right now. Two for 13 for Team Canada. So try to improve at that. But yeah, just looking at ex-Canucks as well. Tyler Toffoli is having himself a decent tournament so far. Three assists. He's a plus two as well. So we'll keep charting Team Canada as they go through the tournament here. But again, as mentioned, there'll be some more uh, troops arriving now that uh, more teams are falling out of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And that's where we're going to go next here, J-Pat, because as we saw, Canada now will go another year without a Stanley Mm -hmm. Cup coming to Canada, but with the Leafs and Oilers now out, I started thinking about these cores and started thinking about the Canucks core. And of course, you know, Canucks core is is what it is. We know who they are, but at the same time, too, everything built around them just isn't quite right right now. And I don't know how much pressure there is for the Canucks core to sort of, you know, be a playoff contender right about now. But there's it, that's going to ramp up here. But when you look at teams like the, oh, the Oilers, you look at the Leafs, like there's a lot of talk in Toronto whether they're going to blow up that core. But then you look at Edmonton and it's Dreisaitl and McDavid. It's another year where they won't, won't hoist the Stanley Cup. Like, what is the window here? And sort of how long do teams wait to sort of make these major moves, like almost major surgery, to quote uh, Jim Rutherford? Like, what is the window? How patient can you be? Look at the Washington Capitals. I believe it was 11 years before they finally got a Stanley Cup with Ovi and, you know, the Backstrom sort of core. So, you know, what is the weight here? What What is right? And is it sort of overreaction because of what's happening in Toronto, what that city is, and, you know, the lack of success that they had just getting out of the first round? Is it different for them, perhaps, to others because of that lack of success? Yeah, I mean, overreaction is a good word to use. Look, I'm not crying any tears that the Edmonton Oilers are done for another year. No. That's a really good hockey club. I mean, it's warts were exposed, and that's kind of what the playoffs are all about. But I guess when you talk about windows, like Drysaddle's got two years left on his current contract at a criminally low eight and a half million bucks for one of the certainly five best players in the National Hockey League, if not one of the best three. And Edmonton's a fascinating case to me because you look at the leading scorers in the National Hockey League as we record this playoff scores. The Oilers have three of the top four. McDavid and Drysdale showed up and played. And then Evan Bouchard was, you know, the power play master. But ultimately, that was the downfall of the Oilers is this regular season power play that was as better than anything we've ever seen in the NHL actually improved in the playoffs. But the bulk of the game is still played at five on five. And so you have some nights where you score three and four power play goals. But then there were those long stretches where five on five offense was hard to come by. And 
that again was the case. I mean, it was a little ironic, actually, last night that, you know, the, the game turns in the second period. The Oilers, you know, they fall behind, but they rallied and they got the two quick ones and took the lead. And then Vegas was incredible in the second period, I thought. But it was Jonathan Marchessault cap, capping his hat trick on the power play. And here were the Oilers who have feasted on the power play, and yet they couldn't kill off the penalty that they had to. And Vegas got that one. There were some questionable decision-making, I thought, uh, that defensive pair of Cody Cece and, and Darnell Nurse left a lot to be desired. But even Drysaddle last night, like I, I didn't think he was anywhere close to his best. And the guy has been dominant and had an incredible season. But I would say for the Oilers, they, that's kind of the first window or you know signpost. He's two years left on Drysaddle. And then if you're going to re-sign him, you know, I mean, he's going to go well into the double digits and that's just going to make life much more difficult. So you know, did goaltending let them down? Sure. I would suggest that coaching let them down, though. I mean, you can't have your starter. I mean, it was like Mike Keenan era 1970 or 97 or something. Like, can't pull in your goaltender every start. Like, it just it sends a bad message to him, sends a bad message to the team. I think guys are wondering after every goal, is this it? Or, you know, is Skinner coming out? Like, Stuart Skinner had a nice season. Was he up to the challenge in the playoffs? No, the numbers would suggest that he wasn't. But I still thought, Jay Woodcroft didn't hand his goal, handle his goaltending probably as well as he ought to have. But this is what's so fascinating. We, we do this after every series, right? Like, all right, what did the winning team have? What was the losing team lacking? David and Dreisaitl are 26 and 27. Like, their competitive windows sure as hell aren't closing. You know, as a team, what do the Oilers look like? Do they need change? Yeah, sure they do. But, you know, where was the 100-point Ryan Nugent Hopkins in the playoffs? Evander Kane had one point against Vegas. And maybe it'll come out that he was playing through something. So many guys are at this time of the year, but one point and assist for Evander Kane. Even Zach Hyman, you know, he scored the big goal in the first round in overtime against Los Angeles. Nice player, obviously, but I just didn't think he was as prominent in the playoffs either. So, you know, your top end guys were productive. They put up points, the bulk of them on the power play. But really, it was that next wave. And I think that's where the Oilers thought that they, you know, had separated maybe this year from years gone by, that they had that next layer, that it wasn't just McDavid and Dreisaitl. Like, I like the work that Ken Holland did at the trade deadline. Matthias Ekholm was what they needed, and he was good for them. Yeah, very good. You know, Nick Bukestad, I like the idea. He was pretty quiet against Vegas. I think he only had one point. Uh, But it is wild, you know, even in the second round, like you match up against another really good team and all of a sudden you get exposed. And I think the others did. So the contrast for me with Edmonton and Toronto is that almost everybody in Edmonton's under contract, like Bugstad's unrestricted, maybe one other guy. But, you know, I think for the most part, the Oilers will run it back with their core group and there'll probably be some tweaks and changes because there have to be. The Leafs, like there are all these decisions about what to do and you know, who stays or who should, and that goes from the general manager to the coach and then to, you know, your key players. And obviously there were injuries. Uh, goaltending position was sort of a revolving door, you know, really all season. Really, when you think of Matt Murray was brought in, was supposed to be the guy that didn't work out. Samson off, they end up going to, to Joseph Wall. And Wall was good, but he wasn't Sergei Bobrovsky good ultimately at the end. And so, yeah, I mean, I think Edmonton and Toronto, you know, same fate that they're out in the second round. And after Boston got eliminated, man, it kind of felt like maybe this was the year that not one, but two Canadian teams were going to get through to the Stanley Cup final. And of course, uh, they're gone. They're all gone now, all the Canadian teams. And so that drought will continue. And unfortunately for you, and I was such a nice guy. I mean, the charitable part of me that opened the door for you to sneak out 
of our wager. And yet neither of those teams could have your back. Neither the Leafs or the Oilers. So yeah, one of these days here. We'll the Leafs play. never have my back, my friend. They never. <laughs> they hate me, to be honest. They hate their fan base. They hate them entirely. That was guts. an incredible hockey game, though, on Friday night. Like, yeah, it was. like result Except aside, for the fact that I was sick and laying in bed dying pretty much. But yeah, yeah. And, but and that, dying inside, not because, too. Not because of the hockey game. <laughs> no, like, no. Like, I was actually no, no, sick. I, I think yeah. I slept through the... I listened kind of to the second period because oh. I got that norovirus thing. It, it only lasted like a day, but no boy, details, did it hit please. No, yeah. No you don't want details. those. Yeah. You don't want those. But yeah, it, it, it was like, a good game. For an elimination game, back and forth chances, 50 shots for the Leafs or 52 shots. Like Bobrovsky was incredible. The, yeah. How he got a piece of that Brody shot in overtime through traffic and the, just the top of his pad. But this is tending proving to be voodoo too, right? Like, like you talked about the Leafs and how they had their plans sort of went all over the place this year. And now look at Florida. Now look at Vegas. Well, that's it with Vegas. And I think that the lesson from Vegas right now is if you build hell of a defense core, you can get by with your third or fourth stringer, but give Aiden Hill credit. He was really good in the third period last night. And goalies, it's such a numbers game. Like, guys just need a chance. And he's got the net right now. You know, you still think, you look at the roster, and you think, ah, goaltending, like, that might come back to bite them, and it might. But last night, he was really good. But again, I think the lesson is that if you surround goalie who's up to the challenge with an impenetrable defense core, and that's pretty much what Vegas is. Spent a lot of time here in the last couple of days to try and, you know, again, after every round, we're almost through the second round now, trying to draw these through lines from team to team and what are, what's the common denominator. I look at Carolina, and we've talked about Rod Brindamore and the system that he's put in place and the belief and the buy-in. You know, they've got good players, but I don't know that they've got ultra superstars up front, but their superpower is a defense core of Slavin and Pesci and Brent Burns and Brady Shea. You know, that's their top four. You look at Vegas, and we've spent a lot of time on this program because Rick Tockett pointed it out. He loves them. And so he should. Like Angelo and Theodore Martinez and, you know, Nick Haig is just a big, big dude. And Braden McNabb, you know, he's got his flaws, but, you know, he still brings an element of toughness there. White Cloud. And, and then Zach White Cloud. You know, if Seattle gets past Dallas, you look at Seattle and you, Vince Dunn had an incredible season. And Adam Larson has sort of come into his own and is the player that... Oh, look, Edmonton could use an Adam Larson. You know, Jamie Oleksiak's never going to blow you away in the regular season, and yet you get to playoffs, and you're like, damn, like every That's team should want that yeah. kind of guy. Even Carson Soucy, you know, you know, like to me, it's sort of this is the year of the big pillars on defense. And, you know, I think back to, okay, recent Stanley Cups, Colorado. I think most people would agree they were the best team in hockey and were the favorites to win on the back of superstars, and they did. And before that, Tampa with back-to-back wins. You go back to St. Louis in 2019, I would say the St. Louis, like what we're seeing this year is way closer to the St. Louis Blues model of 2019, where you know the Blues had O'Reilly and they had Tarasenko, and they had lots of good players, but their back end of Prime Petrangelo, Colton Pareko, Justin Falk, you know, Robert Bertuzzo. Like, again... You know, and Petrangelo was a, a stud number one. Yeah. And back then, I think Pareko was probably playing the best hockey of his NHL career. But, you know, supporting cast, they were all big. They were mean. Like, they took away the front of the net. And ultimately, I do think that that seems to me to be the parallel that I'm drawing here from the teams that are still around. And even Florida, like, you know, Ekblad, 
And we've talked about Brandon Montour and the season that he had, and Gustav Forsling's playing at a super high level. And you got Radko Gudis and his beard, and uh, he's a menace, absolutely. Yeah. He he, I mean, he somewhat ran interference on the on oh, the winning goal in overtime. That but, was, and, I, and then he and then he, the scream in Joseph Wall's face was totally uncalled for. Joseph Wall said he didn't even notice it. Well, and I still wonder, like, was that to me? And I saw the photo, but was that a photo of a guy celebrating the goal? And it was just a freeze yeah, frame, could be. Yeah. a snapshot that yeah. looked like he was in his face. I yeah. think he's driving to the front of the net. He sees the puck go in. And yeah. he kinda, and I wondered if people were sort of creating their own narrative around a photo. Well, Wall said he didn't even notice it. Yeah. So there you go. You, you're probably right. But he probably was just celebrating. That was sneaky, not dangerous, but it was dirty. Grabbing Yarncroke's stick yeah. so that he couldn't like but attack. That's Rakugudis, dude. And he, that's what he does, right? Oh, he, he looks he like trying. he plays. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. And, and he's a UFA and, this year as well. I'm wondering if anyone will go after him. No, and they'll regret it because he'll get a four-year deal. Yeah, and, exactly. you know, he'll, he'll stink like, in the back end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but but it'll be the Canucks, the, maybe. <laughs> that's the beauty of playoff hockey is it creates these stars and then teams yeah. buy in and you know they overpay. So, well, bringing it back to the core though. Okay, so I'm sitting here. I've got Edmonton's playoff history in front of me here. Under the let's let's what is their core? It's obviously McDavid. It's obviously Drysaddle Nurse. Nugent Hopkins, that about right? Those core four right there. I mean, those I know they the added Kane. Serving. And, yeah. Those are the Those are all yeah. high These are drafted and developed yeah. guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So under that core, which started in 20, I guess, 11, because R&H was a 2011 draft, I believe. They've been to the playoffs one, two, three, four times. It's under that core. And I know the amount of grief that the core gets in Toronto for all their lack of success, just not being able to get out of that first round. But when you look at Edmonton, they're pretty close. First of all, they haven't made the playoffs as many times. Second of all, they've been to a conference final once and a second round once. And if you remember that glorious run back in 2017 Ew. to the second round. But the other two times have just been, I mean, one was qualifying round, so that's first round. And the other is first round. So, again, like, you're sitting there going, like, with a team like Edmonton and for everything you just broke down there, how much money it's going to cost you for Leon Dreisaitl. Like, are there any discussions going on right now where they're considering breaking that up and you know, the way they play, which is similar to Toronto, that high octane offense, although Toronto's dried up completely against Florida, like that doesn't seem to be a winning formula in the NHL. So now these two teams with these like cores of, of superstars have to make these tough decisions and somebody might have to go and they might have to completely change the way they play. And we've seen this in years past. If you remember Steve Eisenman back in the day when he was with the Red Wings, racking up tons of points. And eventually somebody pulled him aside and was like, listen, you're not going to win a cup this way, right? And Detroit was able to do that. So I'm wondering if there's any sort of lessons now to be learned here for the Canucks as they've got this young core that's going to start to ascend at some point here. You've got to start thinking playoffs, if not next year, the year after that. Like, can they learn from this right now? And I know they've got so many mistakes on their on their caps, so they've almost got like maybe a couple of years to be able to try to clean that up. Maybe if they're lucky, they'll be able to get it done in a couple of years. But there are, I think, are a lot of lessons right now for Canucks management to sort of learn of what's going on in these playoffs and looking at their players, looking at their core and going, are these the right guys? Are we playing the right way? And are these the right guys? Right. I mean, just using the Oilers as an example, like, how do you want Connor McDavid to move forward? Like, he doesn't have anything left to prove. He doesn't need 160 points in the regular season. No. That much is obvious. But. You're not going to be able to put a governor on him. You can't, you know, drag him down to a 75-point level and say, hey, keep stuff in reserve. Because, again, you need to get to the playoffs first and foremost. And so, 
you know, you want him doing Connor McDavid things to help you win hockey games. They clearly were too reliant on their power play there. But just in terms of, you know, sticking with a core, and I don't know ultimately went into the decision making on Darnell Nurse, but he is such a whipping boy in Edmonton now. And this is a guy that was taken seventh overall, two picks ahead of Horvat in the 2013 draft. And you think of the angst in this market, Andrew, about OEL. And the Canucks aren't even paying full freight on OEL. Darnell Nurse is just into like an eight-year deal at 9.25 million bucks. Like, is that why re- he's the whipping boy there, though? Because the, Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I mean, guys are graded against what they make. And like, he's making more than Leon Dreisaitl. Who's bringing more value to that hockey club? And I think you're seeing... He's a second-pairing guy on that team. Like, Matias Echo and Evan Bouchard played a ton. Bouchard played 13 minutes of the third period last night. Played 31 minutes in the hockey game. You know, Led the team so, in playoffs for in Corsi 4 at 5-on-5 five five as well. And, and so Nurse and CeCe, like, neither one of them. I did particularly good, I didn't think, in the playoffs and defensively together. Bit of an issue, and I think good teams, when you get to the playoffs, you're seeing other good teams. They're also highly scouted now. Like, they attack. That like Cody Cece was minus seven in the six games against Vegas. That's your second pairing guy, but that tells you that you know Vegas has enough depth that whatever matchups the Oilers tried to get, then your second pair it's got to hold its own, and it didn't. And it didn't last night in the second period. Uh, on for a couple of the goals that Vegas scored there. So you know if you're the Canucks again, I think the lesson is, and the lesson should have been learned by now, is improve this defense immeasurably because what mm-hmm. you've got right now is nowhere close to the Carolinas and the Vegases. And even if Seattle gets through and we'll see what happens as uh, we await game seven in that series. But I think it's funny because sometimes I think we spend too much time wondering about windows and, you know, where are you in your competitive cycle? Again, like you just need so many things to fall your way to win the Stanley cup. And the first is building a good team. You know, you need health. You need your good players to show up. And we talked about the fact that, you know, a lot of the supporting cast for the Oilers didn't. The primary guys for the Leafs. Willie Nylander was the only guy that scored two goals in that series against Florida. Like, how is that even possible? And they held Matthew Kachuk, although he had, I think, five assists in the in the series. Yeah. They held him to zero goals. Like, he like it was there for yeah. them. They just had to produce offensively. Right. So, you know, all these other teams that are out of it, and you're trying to pull lessons from what's going on around you. But just to me, it comes back to... You need a level of goaltending, obviously. You need some special teams, but... You need defense. But the name of the game, I mean, yeah. defense wins championships, you know, it's saying for a reason. But, you know, this was a year that offense was up around the National Hockey League, and I think teams thought they could maybe outscore some of their deficiencies, and yet you get to playoff hockey, and teams are able to kind of dumb it down a little bit and keep it low scoring. Now, low scoring isn't a terrible thing. I mean, the Leafs beat Tampa with only two goals in the elimination game. Right. But again, like seven straight games for the Leafs with just two goals with that team, with those players, that part doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, you know, did they need to do a little more, maybe, you know, to draw some more penalties? Did they need the odd benefit of the doubt to go their way to put them on the power play? Would that have aided some of their scoring? Sure. I imagine it would have, but you got to be good at five on five. You have to, but ultimately the bulk of the game is still played five on five. And that's, uh, and so, you know, you got to fight through the shit that comes your way and, and not everything's going to get called and mm-hmm. there's going to be missed calls. There's going to be ignored calls. You know, you see teams that get distracted. Like I, the Oilers, I think we're looking for a measure of revenge on Petrangelo. You saw a dry settle in the handshake line, like wouldn't let it go after the, like, I think they were off 
you know, can you just laser focus a short memory? Like the, the checklist of things required to win the Stanley cup is so damn long. And unfortunately for teams like the Canucks, you know, they're still so far away. Ultimately, do they have nice pieces? Of course they do. We spend a ton of time here on rank wide talking about the nice pieces, but I mean, the Oilers have nicer pieces than everybody at the top end. And in the end, that wasn't anywhere close. They didn't even get out of the second round. So, you know, they did last year, and then this year feels like a step back for them. Yeah. I sold them short as well. I didn't give them this year's playoffs. So it's been five times that they've made the playoffs this year. What is the Canucks core when you look at it? Like, name me the players you think are the Canucks core and tell me whether JT Miller is a part of it. Because in my opinion, he has to be considering what you gave him in terms of a contract. Yeah, I would agree with you. So, yes, goaltender on out. I'd go Demko. I'd go Hughes. I think Philip Ronick now, having seen him for four games, it's hard to make this proclamation, but certainly the price that they paid to get him, the position he plays, I would put Philip Ronick in that group. So I would have Demko, I'd have Hughes and Ronick, and then I'd have Pedersen and Miller. And then I guess you're left to decide if Andre Kuzmenko is already a part of your core after one season. For a guy that, you know, was benched repeatedly by this coach. And, you know, does that sound like a core player? Like, I mean, we know what he did offensively. He can see the production, but I'm not sure that Rick Tockett would view him as part of the core. So, you know, it's easy for me from the outside as an interested and I'd like to think informed observer. I know what Andre Kuzmenko did for this hockey club. I don't truly know what Andre Kuzmenko means to this hockey club in the eyes of Rick Tockett. And I'm not sure Rick Tockett does yet, like because there clearly was friction in the way that he played and the, the way that he handled them. And so... Yeah, I mean, to me, that's your core. You've got two forwards, two defensemen, one of whom has played four games for the hockey club. And so maybe Philip Ronick shouldn't even be included. Like maybe he has to work his way. I think the idea of Philip Ronick would fall into the definition of a core player. But what if he falls short? What if he falls flat? Like I want to give him every opportunity, but let's see how he performs. So for the sake of the argument, maybe the core is Demko, Hughes, Pedersen, and Miller. Again, all very nice pieces at their positions. But how would that core four stack up against other core fours in the National Hockey League? I think it would be in the top half. It might be in the top 10, but there's a lot of good players in this league. And there are a lot of teams that have a lot of good players. So, again, it just underscores how much more has to be done in roster construction, roster management. But so much of that comes from cap flexibility, which the Canucks don't have. And that's why. This is going to be a fascinating offseason. And we've said that before, but until they get their account sorted out, it's going to continue that way. And is Patrick Alvin a, a mastermind? Is he a Harry Houdini? Can he pull a rabbit, a salary cap rabbit out of his hat? <laughs> um, he pretty much has to. Yeah. Well, I mean, you talk about the core and you just, I'm just looking at ages right now as you sort of rattle off who you think it, it is. And I agree with everyone you said there, but like Demko will be 28 this year. Hughes will be 24 this year. He's the youngest of these core members that you're talking about. We all know JT Miller just hit his 30th birthday and Elias Pettersson's going to be 25 this year. So as we talk about, you know, these cores and how long it sort of takes to be able to, or how long you sort of want to commit to them, whether you think they can be the right mix of guys to be able to lead you to a Stanley Cup, like we're not even there yet. Like we're not even at that question yet because this team can't make the playoffs. So I don't know. It's interesting. And you, yeah, it's a fascinating offseason and I'm not... One to say that I don't think Elias Pettersson is going to resign here. I think he will. But there's going to be a lot of pressure on the organization to pull a, 
salary cap rabbit out of its ad. Like, you're going to have to do something drastic here. And I know we they talked about major surgery, but like they got to get this thing on track because these guys are aging out soon, especially JT Miller. And not only that, Dr. Demko is not getting any younger either. You still got well, Hughes and, and, and Pedersen that are, you know, still relatively young. And I then, think, oh my God, is it go time for these guys? But, and, and just to sort of everything we've been talking about here, you know, you draft, you develop, you build a core. And then if that core produces, then that gives those players individually the leverage to command not only bigger salaries, but you get to a point where then they can command trade protection as well. And then that just complicates matters like to try to deconstruct. If you get to a point where you decide that, no, this core isn't it, or one of those pieces has to go. And that's sort of where Toronto is now is you can assemble the pieces, but you're seeing it in Vancouver that disassembling hockey clubs is really, really tough in a flat cap era. And so, you know, if a team like Toronto decides that, Hey, it was fun. He wore the pajamas. We had him for a few years, but it's time for John Tavares to go. Like where, who, who's taken on what's left of that contract? Like he's still an effective player, but you know, that's a really difficult piece to try to move out so that you can go and, and then spend in other directions. And I think in hindsight now, the Leafs really need to spend $11 million. No, they, well, to be honest here, that was all built towards the cap rising and all of that. Like they're in the situation they're in. And although they're in a much better cap situation than the Canucks are, but they were in that tight situation for years because of the fact of the flat cap. And it just, but again, you shouldn't be spending money that and without knowing what the future holds. Right. I mean, that's just an everyday life. We shouldn't be doing that. Right. So they got egg on their face with that one, but I think you're right. There was a bit of a lavish spend, if you will. They didn't really need JT, John Tavares. So, yeah, I do agree with you in that regard. Um, also, too, like there's talk about the, you know, perhaps moving Mitch Marner before his trade protection kicks in on July 1st. Mitch Marner is a first team uh, NHL player, right? Like it's, I think, two years in a row now he's been a first team NHL. This $11 million player, very good player. Winger at that, though. We've also seen that. Uh, you know, playoffs can be to be desired from what we've seen from Marner. But for all of that, it's almost impossible to move these players. Like with the salary, like you're going to have to have two people go back and who wants to trade that? So it's, again, you have to choose wisely here. You got to choose your dollars wisely. But if you're going to commit these dollars, you better be damn sure that these are the guys that you're going to win with because you're going to be stuck with them. And then like, Listen, if you're a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, you're like, well, that's a good problem. Mitch Marner's first team NHL guy. Yeah, sure. But what about playoff success? And ultimately, that's what it is all about. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned here from the Canucks. And I think that, you know, for them to avoid being in spots like Edmonton and Toronto are, where they're perhaps having to make tough decisions about their core, they better try to figure that out now before it gets worse. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. 
And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them. The Dome will be rocking. Should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com. And check this out. They start at just 30 bucks, and kids 17 and under can get in for 15 So bring the noise. Fill the Dome. We got an Ask J-Pat here from Ty on Twitter. I also have one, but uh, mine's sort of to do with a, a bit of a personal issue. So let's start with Ty first, Uh-oh. okay? And it's not about the norovirus thing either. I won't uh, give you any more details of that. Uh, Ty says, uh, since the Blackhawks will want to rebuild quickly after this draft, is there any Canuck contracts that they could trade Chicago? Yeah, I'm really curious to see what the Chicago Blackhawks do here. Uh, If you recall, they were really bad last year, and it allowed them to up their odds, and ultimately the lottery balls uh, bounce their way, and they get Connor Bedard. But Connor Bedard's going to step in to a team that was led in scoring this past season by Andreas Athanasiu with 40 points. (laughs) McDavid had 40 points by, like, end of October. (laughs) Fair enough, but it... Like, who's he going to play with and what kind of supporting cast and all that kind of stuff? I mean, the fascinating part to me is, do the Blackhawks, and are they totally up front with Connor Bedard and say, you come in, you, we're going to work hard, we've got a coach we believe in, but we're going to be really bad again because the first overall pick next year just happens to play for the Chicago Steel, another Vancouver boy. And if you remember... Patty Kane and Jonathan Taves kind of entered the league together. They were drafted a year apart. That's right. But they came in together, and the rest is history. So could the Blackhawks try to make history repeat itself? Um, even with Bedard, I still think they're going to be a lottery team. Like I, I just don't think there's enough there. They stripped it down so badly. Now, they had three first-rounders last year, and with Bedard, they've got two this year. So five first-round picks. That's a good start to any rebuild. Um but, yeah, I mean, to my point is, you don't want to alienate or piss off Conor Bedard and his agent and his camp early on. So you'd think that the Blackhawks would want to support him. We always talk about, uh, you know, supporting young players with a veteran presence and, you know, the right guy. We always hear stories, too, about, you know, a rookie will come in and live with uh, another player and his family. And, you know, I, I don't know that they've got any veterans there in Chicago to to take in Conor Bedard. But... Then it brings you back to the question that, you know, the Hawks have a little bit of cap space. If they do want to surround Connor Bedard with good players, you know, would they, and I'm not saying that a Brock Besser or a Connor Garland would be at the top of the list, but both are legitimate National Hockey League wingers. Both can score some goals and maybe with the right opportunity. So, you know, could they... I guess the history, though, I mean, the Blackhawks have already shown the Canucks that, you know, they weren't willing to do them any favors with Jason Dickinson and wanted to be compensated for taking on that contract. So uh, I have to imagine that these phone calls have already been made prior to the lotto. Uh, You know, I'm sure the Blackhawks were one of the teams that was uh, consulted to see if they had any interest in a player like Brock Besser. So I'm not expecting that things would change. But the only thing now that does change is the Blackhawks know they've got the first overall pick. You certainly don't want to throw Connor Bedard out against the best players in the National Hockey League without having some insulation around him. So I would think that they would look to bring in a few veteran players so that he's got some support, that he's got some guys to play with, that they've got a power play that, you know, can hold its own at the very least. 
And if I'm the rank for Canucks, again, I'm making those phone calls to see if there is any way that you could make some sort of deal yeah. happen there. But I just think the Blackhawks realize, like every team does, that the Canucks are up against it. And I just don't think that they're going to be in a position to do the Canucks any favors. That's a good question by Ty here. I'm looking through Chicago's cap right now. They do not have a forward that's signed past next season. Like everything is, yeah, 24, 25. Everybody's either a UFA or an RFA at that point. They got some defensemen that are locked up right now. They gave Seth Jones that big contract. Connor Murphy's got one as well. But you're right. Like, you know, maybe Brock Besser would be a really good option in Chicago. And honestly, for Brock Besser, it might be a good sort of change of scenery as well to start, you know, with Connor Bedard there. They got four second rounders. But you're right. They're in a position of strength, especially when it comes to the Canucks and the fact that they're so capped out. But yeah, maybe that is the spot that they want to go to is the Chicago Blackhawks. And maybe perhaps they can get that second rounder that they had to uh, put in for the sweetener there with uh, Jason Dickinson. I uh, get that well, one back. Well, and that's the thing with these teams that amass all these draft picks. Like, on They're the not going to use them all. Yeah. It looks great. And yeah. we all go, oh, my God, look at the, you know, look at the assets that they've got. But you're right. They're not going to draft and sign every player. There are limits in place. And so those draft picks then become assets. Like, you're not going to win the Stanley Cup with a roster full of draft picks. Like You have to turn those into players. So, yeah, you want draft picks, and you want to use them and use them wisely, but I don't think that a team that has that many is going to use them all, and they're certainly not going to sign every guy that they draft. So at some point to accelerate the growth of that team, you'd think that they would leverage a few of their picks into uh, legitimate players that could go and help uh, not just the hockey club, but certainly could help Connor Bedard as well. Did you do Mother's Day up uh, yesterday? Oh, did I? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Had a big family gathering and uh, with all the kids and grandkids and stuff. It's not easy for the Pattersons to find a schedule that uh, allows us all to get together. But uh, my sister lives in Calgary, so she wasn't around. But uh, my brothers and some of the grandkids and whatever, yes, celebrated uh your old mom so yeah i think we did it up right all right so i ended up having to have a doubleheader baseball game on sunday stupid of our league to schedule that it was ridiculous gave my mom a heads up she's here from toronto right now gave her a heads up said listen i don't think i'm going to be able to make the dinner but i'm like let's go to the seas game on saturday take you out we'll do the baseball game i'm getting grief though for the fact that it wasn't on actual mother's day should i be getting grief for that I mean, I, we still celebrated with each other. Went out to the ball game at great seats. Many thanks to GoGo Sports for sorting it out. All the good people at over at the Vancouver Canadians. Beautiful yeah. day. But separate you know, topic here, by the way. I saw the photo. The sock shoe combo was uh, something. Well, um, those are the Jay socks. Yeah, and those are Jay's something. Jay's shoes as well. Exactly, that was something. <laughs> um, this is your mom that's giving you grief. My mom's giving me grief. Well, it's not on on Mother's Day. I'm like, mom. There's nothing it's a I Mother's can do. Day weekend at that point. Oh, you're making thank it, you. You're this done, is, no, I've, I don't always have your back, but uh, yes. I've got your back on this one, Mom. No. This is I, why I asked J-Pat. This is why I need these answers here. Exactly. Like, she's here. It's a, a fixed amount of time she has to spend here. Yeah. So, like, if you can turn Mother's Day into Mother's Day weekend, then, no, she should have been over the moon with okay. that. All right. Well, my brother took her out for dinner. So there you go. Yeah. So he had dinner. Right, so I did the favorite Saturday. Son. Yeah. There you, well, yeah, she, I'm never going to win that one anyway. <laughs> but anyway, so if you're listening, Mom, happy Mother's Day.
The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Rinkwide Vancouver is presented by Bodog. Make a play at Kansas Choice for free casino game sports, odds, and poker strategies. My Bodog best bet did not hit. <laughs> you didn't hit in the entire series, in fact. Austin Matthews, anytime goal scorer. That was on Friday. I thought he was going to get a tally in that game. He did not. So we're moving on. But you know what, J-Pat? Tonight, I don't know. I don't feel overly excited about this pick. It's more of a hope pick more than anything else. But I want to see chaos when it comes to the Western Conference final. I want to see Seattle versus Vegas. So I am going to take the Seattle Kraken on the money line at plus 175 tonight. I like it. I like that. Uh, Kraken are battle-tested with Game 7, beat Colorado in Denver in Game 7. Moved on to Denver, to Dallas for the start of the next round. Chased Jake Ottinger in game six the other night. Now, I think that was a smart play by Pete DeBoer. Once the game started to get away from him, get Ottinger out. He's your money guy. You know he's going to be your starter. It's not like Edmonton. you know. And so there was no point at that point. If they were going to come back, you know, you had to hope that Scott Wedgwood was going to give them enough goaltending. In the end, it wasn't. So they go to a game seven. You've heard me talk about Jason Robertson on this pod before. Like, <laughs> I, I just... I. Can Dallas win this series without a goal from Jason Robertson? Like, I just, I find that 46 goal guy in the regular season, he's got three career playoff goals. Like, that one doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And yet, I've watched lots of the series. He's had some points along the way, but I just haven't looked all that dangerous. He so never maybe, jumps off the page to me for a guy that is, a, what for, does he have, 109? Yeah, 46 goals. And I, I'm with you. Uh, and maybe some of that's uh, Seattle doing its job. And obviously, they recognize. If you give him opportunities, he could beat you. Of all the statistics that I have looked at in these playoffs, and we're coming to the end of the second round tonight, this one just absolutely mind-boggling. So the Edmonton Oilers, and we talked about their power play and how successful it was. Yeah. The Oilers in these playoffs, two rounds of playoffs, L.A. and Vegas, scored 13 power play goals on the road. The Seattle Kraken are in a Game 7 in round two, without having scored a power play goal on the road. Like, the Orioles scored wow. 13 and they're done. Seattle hasn't scored on a power play away from home, and they could still, I mean, it could happen tonight that it doesn't, that they don't, and they could get into round three uh, in their first look at playoff hockey. Like, so, again, you try to make it, oh, you know, you need special teams. Like, yeah, you do, but obviously, you, you know, you're, I mean, they're, one of the best teams five on five in these playoffs, and that has carried the day for them. So uh, can the Kraken advance to the third round without a power play goal tonight? Can the Stars advance without Jason Robertson sort of arriving in this series? And I know Jake Ottinger's got this incredible record after losses, so they're sort of banking on that one. What's the other one? Peter DeBoer is 6-0 and lifetime, I think, as a head coach in seventh games. So that's going to be put to the test as well tonight. And if it's Dallas Vegas in round three, like that's a that'll be a heck of a matchup. 
But if it's Seattle, Vegas, I mean, those storylines are obviously juicy and right themselves. And those two teams will play in the winter classic down in Seattle next year. So it's a prelude to uh, an outdoor game. Um, yeah. Seventh games. I mean, we all love them and somebody's moving on and somebody's going home. Um, and I'm kind of with you. Like I just, I, 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 and this Kraken team, like, you know, so often we hear about pressure, you know, there's pressure on both teams. If they want to win, they got to show up and play, but all the pressure, let's be honest, all the pressure is on Dallas, the home team, the established team, uh, the higher seated team. If the Kraken bow out, you know, this has been an incredible little, oh, yeah. you know, taste yeah. of playoff hockey for the Emerald yeah. City. Uh, they want more. And nothing seems to face these guys in the way that they spread their scoring that, you know, a different hero every night. And it wouldn't surprise me if it was, you know, a bottom six guy that stepped up and came through with timely goals. And, yeah, I don't know. Something tells me that uh, Kraken will be playing hockey after tonight and the stars may be done for the season. Climate Pledge was bumping. Yeah. Bumping. I mean, I tweeted that. It's quickly becoming one of the best arenas in, in the league. And it's, it's, it's such a great arena when you go there. It's super cool. But just... The fans were going off the other night. I, I, I'm i envious of Seattle right now and what they got going on. You're right about their power play, though. It is the worst amongst the teams that are left. In fact, it was third worst in the entire playoffs right now at 14.7%. But Vegas is right there as well at twelve or 17.5. So both the Western Conference teams really not clicking on the PP. But here we are. Uh, well, at least one of them's in the Western Conference Final. The other one hoping to get in there in Seattle. See how that turns out tonight. Eastern Conference Final, of course, is set. Florida versus Carolina. Uh, you know, the hockey hotbeds that are Florida and Carolina. But at the same time, too, hockey's worked in Carolina. We've seen that for many years. Florida, still a work in progress down there. But they, they're obviously cooking right now. I said it on the pod last week. I still believe it. Out of these teams, and I'll include Seattle and Dallas in, in this to me, it's Carolina that is the favorite. They are so stacked, J-Pad, and they've got the best coach, I believe, in the NHL. Yeah, they got some good news. Uh, Trevor Vinen is uh, back at practice and uh, you know broke his hand. Uh, there was some thought that he was going to be out uh, for the duration of the playoffs, although I guess if you go to the Stanley Cup final, you're playing for the better part of two months, and that's time for guys to heal up. So uh, they look like they're going to add another piece. And again, it's not superstar power. It's just a another really solid player that you know flourishes in that system and they will welcome him back and he makes them that much better so good team getting a little boost here uh, as it awaits uh, the start of the third round our playoff talk is presented by jason hominick at jason.mortgage of course if uh, you need some advice on your mortgage if you need a mortgage hit up jason hominick at jason dot mortgage and uh, yeah we'll have our eye on that game seven of course cracking and stars and then the final four will be set after that. And I mean, when you look at the teams that are left, I mean, maybe on one side, you could definitely see people picking Carolina. I don't think how many people are picking Florida this year. However, those Golden Knights, though, J Pat, they look tough. I mean, they are so built for playoff hockey. You talked about the back end and how deep they are back there, but they just get results from guys. Like, it's almost like the same guys every year. And they're not like true superstars, though, right? Like, Marcia, so great player. Play a playoff performer, but like, how long of uh would you you know have to read a list of the top players in the league before you got to a name like him, right? So, uh, pretty remarkable. I mean, obviously they have Eichel as well, but just a, a remarkable run that Vegas has had. And not only that, like since they've come into the league, like they've they've made drastic changes, like they pivoted 
And they've still maintained uh, just a, a fantastic story. One of the best run organizations in the NHL. I don't think you could even argue that. Yeah. And, you know, at some point you would think that being knocked down to your third or fourth string goaltender would come back to bite you, but it hasn't yet. And we'll see if it, uh, if it ultimately does. But, uh, you know, they made the trade deadline acquisition of Jonathan Quick, thought he was insurance, and yet he has been nothing but a backup. And even then hasn't dressed for uh, yeah. some of the games that they've played. So, uh, that was kind of curious, but uh, it's Aiden Hill's net right now, and he was in a groove uh, late in the series against Edmonton. I would think that uh, you know he's their guy here moving forward, and we'll see how that goes, uh, if they can keep him healthy, because that's been a bit of an issue uh, for goaltending as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, six incredible years, getting to the Final Four in four of them. Uh, that first year, it was really the us against the world, the, the misfits, and, you know, we'll show you. Uh, beyond that, I mean, they started to change. They took advantage of the fact that they had uh, a surplus of draft picks. We talked about that with Chicago earlier. You know, they used those assets to go out and get, you know, Mark Stone and Alex Petrangelo and Jack Eichel. And so this team has morphed and changed, and they've had to pedal players to create space for others, and they've got the most impatient owner, which is crazy to think. I mean, the guy's had a team for six years, and... You know, he wants his Stanley Cup, and they've got a pretty good shot. They're halfway there right now, but, uh, yeah, they look like they're playing uh, some of the best hockey out there. So, yeah, let's see where it goes. Uh, They need an opponent first, though, and that'll be determined later on here on Monday night. All right, and we'll talk about that on Rinkwide tomorrow, because this has been another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver Podcast presented by Bodog. For Jeff Patterson, I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember, Rinkwide is the show that always goes.